With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, King Supers Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the King Supers app and start your cart. Whatever the cart. King Supers. Fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at kingsupers.com slash boost. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera, joined by my co-host, Mark Mosey. And this week, we welcome in our third, Leslie Merriweather Roberts is joining us. Les... It is so good to finally see you again, buddy. I feel like I've been chasing you down for the podcast uh, for the last few weeks. But you're, you know, you're you're a hot commodity, buddy. I mean, it's not it, you can't just grab you out of nowhere. There has to be some precise scheduling. I imagine this is what it's like, somewhat of Everton trying to sign a player. You know, you have to go through the forty nine steps and all the contractual and legal framework stuff. But we here we here we are. We've got you on right in the middle of the Euros. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it take, takes a lot of forward walking. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but I am now a title winner manager. Um, yes. You know, it, it's it, it, it's <laughs> going to take – I've got people coming at me from all angles now, you know, wanting interviews, things like that. So I actually sent Steve uh, off to the club. Scotty, Les, you need to talk us through this, um, this head-to-head versus point um, goal difference debacle because when you first sent the lead table through, I thought something's really gone wrong here. No, it was it was true. Pulton Vicks were on. Huh. I'm going to give you the full story now because it's so convoluted. So, and, and Les, for our listeners who don't know, tell them tell them you know a little background oh, yeah. here. You are the you are the are you considered a head coach? Or are you sort of a hybrid director of football, head coach, therefore manager type position? Yeah, I just got all the positions really. I've got an assistant mm-hmm. who helps me out from time to time. But yeah, I'm I'm a head coach, I suppose. What's the name of the squad if you're allowed it's, to? Uh, it's AC Hoylake Galaxy Les- from the 16s. Ooh. So Boy, that rolls them, right off the tongue, that. I've had them since they were under 11s, I think. So when they were still at primary school. 
Mark, they're going to be they're going to be in the FA Cup Knock in the last five years in one of those early round <laughs> Les games. Les Roberts running up and down. Oh, down. certainly. I hope so. I'll oh, be rooting for yeah. if you think I'm rooting for Everton in that scenario, you're you dead that, wrong. You think that's family result was bad? Um, <laughs> See, so yeah, we started off as AC Hoylake asteroids. We merged with AC Hoylake meteors, and we became AC Hoylake galaxy. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we we were playing like a sort of truncated league campaign, so we just played team once. And basically, we found ourselves in a position where we'd beaten everyone, more or less. We had three games left and we'd beaten everyone else. It's like, oh, yeah, the league's on here. But there was a team who were top and their goal difference was like sort of like plus 30 at the time. Ours was like plus 10. Then we got beat um, by a team who eventually finished third. But they could have actually finished first, but they abandoned the game because the other team were playing an ineligible player. Mm, shenanigans. They would have actually beat that other team okay. anyway. So they threw away three points, blew the chance of the league. Then we were due to play Colton Vicks, but they pulled the game. They would have led at us, make no mistake about it. <laughs> they pulled the game last minute. So we got the points. We finished top because they thought they had it shown up on goal difference because they finished on plus 46. But it goes on head to head. So because we were given the points, we won the head to head and we won the league. Yeah, Les, you don't need to quality, you know, it's, I appreciate you taking me through the journey there, but let's let's be clear and think about who you're talking to here. We don't apologize for trophies on this podcast. Yeah. We we don't qualify, oh, well, we could have done this or they could have won that or what. No, 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 no. Leslie Roberts is a cup-winning, trophy-winning manager, oh. director of football. He is both the Mashiri and the Uzmanov of that operation, I am. I am just. I, I think it's he's pretty awesome. But definitely juggling a few roles there. But yeah, I, I know you described yourself as head coach, but in terms of going out and and finding new recruits over the summer, I guess that's that's in your in your manifest as well. So pretty much the uh, the jack of all trades at Hoylake. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Les, don't don't be going out and just signing obvious names that we've all heard of. Okay, oh, I, I want some brands profile players, you know, preferably from Portugal or the Dutch league if you can. You know, the, 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 the more the more consonants in the the last name, the better. I think the highlight of the season as well was a couple of games ago. It all kicked off, um, and I got offered out by a sixteen year old who was about six foot two and about five foot wide. He just came running at me. Saying I'll effing kill you, and I was just stood there, and I just I just stood there and told him to behave, and I don't think he quite knew what to do because that wasn't really the reaction he was expecting. What did you do to incite that kind of rage? <laughs> so what happened was there was there was like a bit of um, there was a bit of a kick off between two players, and then basically the opposition line got involved and ran onto the pitch and started screaming at the ref and screaming at the players, whipped it all up. So I ran on the pitch and said to my lads, "Right, get off." We'll all cool down for five minutes, everyone off. And this lad just took exception to me being on the pitch. I, don't, I have no uh-huh. idea why. I must have that demeanour. Um, so, yes, yeah, so he, he came flying at me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, my bottle went. Because at this point, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is a 16-year-old kid. I was thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> this guy is huge. Um, and, yeah, two of his teammates held him back. But I did just stand there and told him to behave. I just suddenly went into full-on dad mode. Um, wow. And, yeah. Got away with that one. 
there's there's nothing quite more exhilarating. There's nothing quite as exhilarating as being uh, and l- tell me if I'm using this uh, phraseology correctly, being offered a straightener by a 16 year old, right? <laughs> I mean, badass. Just around about getting to the point in junior football where the lads are starting to find out what pubs and women are, and it, it's hard to keep up with them. Well, yeah, the one game we got beat, half the team turned up late and pissed because it, the day before they'd left school. So they all went out on the aisle that night after leaving school and all turned up a bit worse for wear the next morning. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely definitely where we're at now. So it's under 17s okay. and 18s next season, youth football. It's only going yeah. to get worse. So, wait, wait, wait. I, just to clarify here, what's the age of your, your group now? Under 16s. Under sixteen, so, and you're saying they came to they came to the to the match drunk, like half drunk. Is yeah, that what you're yeah. saying? When you say pissed. I I because you were just talking about the rage filled encounter with this large sixteen year old. I didn't know. Like we say pissed. I think you know he's mad. But you're saying that you actually had teen, young teenagers who were still uh, you know consuming uh, young adult fiction uh, on television. Uh, they they came to the to the game drunk. A couple did. Yeah, or hungover. Uh-huh. What a country! What a country you guys live in. Twice and you still sound shocked when we when we go through these stories. <laughs> I know. But I'm not shocked. It's just hearing it, hearing it. It's like you know, on the one hand, Les is clearly a a role model and a leader of men, and he's also having to handle uh, underage drinking. It's I, it's it's funny because I imagine, like, I just imagine uh, if you've seen Hot Fuzz, uh, you know how. <laughs> when Nicholas Angel gets to that town for the first time, he just he starts noticing all the the, the kids in the in the pub and decides to start IDing them. <laughs> just imagining Les like having to wrangle all these. Was, was the 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 for them? What? Well, listen, <laughs> I would I would never do that. No uh, just what? Just one final word though on on the eventual convoluted title win. Um, the best thing about it was. Jay, my son, scored the goal that won us our last game oh, and oh, the man. title effectively. So we That's effectively, so effectively won it for us. Mourinho. I mean, is there so with the coat like what's the parade scenario now? I don't know what the COVID restrictions are in terms of you guys having your big, big, huge parade with the whole city attending or, or what's the deal on that? Yeah, it's booked in for August 21st, the Holy Lake Rugby <laughs> Club. So um, it, should, it should be okay by then, I think. Oh, God. Les, yeah, that whole parade. story. Just, see, this is why we have Les on, Mark. You know, well, I, I'm not going to have to. My whole like summer now centers around lining the streets of Market Street in Holy Lake. <laughs> Welcome the lads back to Hoylake Rugby Club at the, the under-16 title while Les is getting a crate in from the co-op for the kids, getting off and out by the 17-year-old who works on the property. I mean... <laughs> this is exactly how it's going to go. Exactly. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, man, I love it. I love in it. In fact, Rob, next time, next yeah. time you are over, we will take you um, to Market Street or Hoylake, Mel's, okay. wherever you want to go. Man, I, geez, I, I feel like my list of, of things to do and places to go over there just keeps growing as I wait on the ability to actually make it over there. 
<laughs> it just feels like it's, I mean, like I've, I've been vaccinated for a while now. So I sort of feel like by the time it's even the government even opens up there again, they're going to be like, oh, you had your vaccine too long ago. You're going to actually have to kind of go back, go to the back of the queue again and, and start all over. But no, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, so remind me where Holy Ake is. Holy Whole Lake? Is it Whole Lake. Lake or Holy Ake? Yeah. Hoy Lake. Hoy Lake. Well, yeah. you know, either way. Hoy Lake. Where is Hoy Lake? Hoy Lake. Uh, you guys know where I've been in Liverpool, so just kind of give I me. A, I don't think a, you've a, ever is been it, to it on the, the world. I don't. I don't think you've ever. I've only been to the other side of the world that one time when uh, I went with Matt and his uh, wife to oh, uh, on that man. little the 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 boat the boat tour thing, which was great. I mean, it was. It was windy and beautiful, and and I took lots of photos. But yeah, we landed on that side, and I yeah. feel like Matt tried to get me away from the whirl as quickly as he could after that. So yeah. your ability to pronounce <laughs> words wrong and also demean the heritage of the River Mersey and the ferry is just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional. I have no, nothing no. but respect for that for that creek you guys have there. It's awesome. Um, no, I'm kidding. The River Mersey is beautiful. I, I hey, look, I, I don't have to defend my love of the city, uh, but uh, yes, I need. I do need to spend some time uh, with the wolves uh, over there Molly. on the world side of things. So, uh, man, okay, well, all right. So, I've been a little frustrated, Les, lately because. Usually when I bring you on, I, Everton are just so boring that, that really there's there's a little Everton to talk about. We get through it enough to satisfy the, you know, the, you know, the Matt Jones quotient or whatever. But I, I you know, normally I want to talk about, you know, music and what you're watching and all that stuff. And I feel like those days will return, but there's, there, you know, the, the foot, the football trademark, uh, you know, <laughs> hashtag the football is happening right now uh, on every level. Um, I've been watching the Euros. I, I've been, it's nice because I work from home and so I can kind of have it on in the background during the day. And then I have uh, Copa America at night, which Copa America is cool, but it's been a little less so this time because of no, there's no fans. Uh, they, they literally had to move the tournament from Argentina because of COVID issues. And they put it in Brazil of all places, which I'm not convinced <laughs> is any better. Uh, and, and it's empty stadiums. Uh, and so you have the piped in fake crowd noise on the TV. I mean, the games have been kind of, they've been, they've been okay so far, but I'm watching a lot of football right now. And, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I, <laughs> Look, I, I think it'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge, I mean, we don't have to go through it. I think we can do the whole performative, like, yes, we're all very sad about what happened to Christian Erickson, and that was awful, and and I'm glad he's okay, and so let's just acknowledge that and move on. Other than that, the Euros have been, at first I felt like it got kind of to, off to a slow start, but boy, it sure has picked up the last day or so in terms of uh, some of the games. I mean, I, I thought England England's game was just kind of okay, but they got the, the result they needed. Um, boy, that <laughs> I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the Netherlands game because I'm in love with Denzel Dumfries, and I, I know that we've only been tenuously linked to him 
But I, I, I reached out to Patty the other day and I said, I'm already proactively mad at Everton for not signing him. <laughs> and I just, it's that total feeling of, you know, we were tenuously linked and now I'm just going to hold it against the club forever if we don't sign him. But I don't know. The Euros have, have, have started to get fun. Uh, looking forward to Germany and France today. So we're recording right as Hungary and Portugal are kicking off. Or actually, they're probably like 15 to 15 or so minutes yeah. in. Guys, what what have you enjoyed so far? What have you thought of the Euros so far? Uh, have you been have you been watching the football? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on Denzel Dumfries. As soon as he scored in that game, I thought, well, that's Everton not signing him now. Then, yeah, that, that ship has sailed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what we needed, right back, wasn't he? But there you go. We'll see. We'll we'll see. Or, or we're going to be paying forty million for him now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. ridiculous. Exactly. That'll be a, a, a signature like millstone around his neck. Oh, um, I've, and I've enjoyed that. This is the best part of any tournament for me, where you've got two or three games a day at least, and you can just stick the tally on. You don't have to watch all the afternoon game shows. Um, you can just stick the footy on all afternoon while you're working from home. It's lovely. It's really good. Um, yeah, I think just to the England game. <laughs> I thought they played well. I thought, you know, it wasn't a, a spectacular performance by any means, but they did what they needed to do. Pretty straightforward result. I thought Croatia looked a bit knackered. Um, yeah. So I think they'll I think they'll struggle to qualify, to be honest. I think it's going to be England and uh, Czechia. It is now, isn't it? No one's calling them that, though. They keep oh, calling them Czech Republic. It's Czechia now, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, I just call them Czech Republic. Yeah. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, Les, when we were growing up, you know, we are part of the greatest generation, as I like to say. Um, we we were they were Czechoslovakia, you know. Yeah. And it, believe me, it took me a long time to be invested in pronouncing that word for them to have cut it in half and call it Czech Republic. I'm not just going to suddenly go to this third way now. I feel like you know, kind of you know, pick a lane, Czech yeah. Republic. <laughs> yeah, but you come with Czech, you know. So, yeah. No, I thought, look, that's the thing is, I, I, I think when I go into these international tournaments as someone who's not follow European football, especially, you know, national, you know, especially the international, uh, I, like I view the, the friendlies as being the, the ultimate, uh, I'm trying to think of like the scientific term for it is like the, the friendlies in the middle of our season are boner killers. I think that's the scientific term for them. So I, I find myself resenting them more than following them, but I generally have a sense of thinking, you know, uh, 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 looking at a, 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 a team like Croatia and thinking, well, I remember that they made it to a World Cup final not that long ago, so they're probably still pretty decent. But yeah, they look they look pretty bad. I mean, there's there, there's been some of that. Like, I mean, the best game so far has been Netherlands Ukraine, but I, I thought that the you know England probably that scoreline uh, does I think it, it's flat it flatters Croatia because I thought England played really well they should have scored more um I, I still think and i don't know how you guys feel about this and mark i want your thoughts too because i know you've been watching like i don't get I, I i wonder at times if like i look at that england squad and i'm probably biased because i watch premier league all the time but i i view that as being a really talented squad but i feel like Gareth Southgate has really gone to great lengths to play some guys out of in weird positions and play this odd formation. And I'm just like, I bet they, I, and this'll be funny to, to someone like you, Les, who is an expert. You're actually a, a real football manager. I, I, I kind of think you could play a, you know, garden variety, basic ass four, four, two with that group and, and probably just be good and play every mm-hmm. play left backs as left backs and right backs as right backs. And, I bet you could do pretty well with that side, but you know, he plays this, 
I, I don't know what system it totally is. Like a three, I think it's four, five, three, one. Two. I think. A what? What is it? Four, two, three, one. I think. Which, funnily enough, is the position is the formation I play. <laughs> four, two, three, one. Oh, you mean yeah. the uh, the Marco Silva default? Yes. Well, I, yeah. What What do I know? I it just it was odd to me that you had um a kill a Trippier playing. Was was he playing out of position in that game? Yeah. Like they, they have this weird mix of like. Too many is it? Too many right backs and not enough, not any left backs, or some crazy thing. I'm not totally sure, but either way, look, they 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 got the result, and as you can see, like with Spain's game yesterday, the result matters way more than the performance anyway. And 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 I thought, the yeah, performance see, just when you touch on the Spain game, I know that instinctively when you try and pick up, you know, what of the best game of any tournament been, it you do instinctively go to, to Netherlands, Ukraine, which was obviously fantastic. But it, it is quite nice seeing the team just shit out the way to a nil-nil. And how many, uh, it was something I ridiculous. Like, I think they completed 89 passes, um, which is the lowest number of completed yeah. passes in the Euros since records began. I mean... I'm- <laughs> that was some classic Tony Poulos West Brom shit. Is what that was to like shit out People the way into a complain about out of teams that. Teams like um, North Macedonia get into these tournaments, and you know all of all of the qualifying rounds where teams are getting hammered thirteen and fourteen nil, and it all seems a little bit pointless. But to see a relatively well established team like Sweden come in and just go into full park the bus mode was heroic. I think and. Unfortunately, Spain Spain are one of those nations now, um, in particular over the last few major tournaments, where they can be frustrated quite easily. Um, if you could pick a national side who historically, certainly in recent times, don't always seem to have a plan B, then they are exactly that. Um, they look short of a number nine, which they have mm-hmm. done in, in numerous recent tournaments. Um, and it's the same old story with them in that they've got a plethora of fantastic they're essentially Ronald Koeman's Everton side they've got loads of great number 10s all very technically gifted on the ball but actually manufacturing that into breaking a side like Sweden down just just never works Um, some of the best moments of the Euros I think probably one of mine was 20 minutes ago watching the national anthems of, of Hungary and Portugal in a country that has either conquered Covid or stopped caring about it because this is this is not one of those spaced out seating affairs that we've become so used to um, obviously with England it was nice I mean I'm not yeah. a, a massive England fan but to see 20,000 people get into the stadium was just refreshing generally I think and I think our, our COVID rules at the moment yeah. I, I think towards the end of the tournament we'll have a, a half full Wembley which which would be fantastic obviously um, but yeah it they're, they're the sorts of games, those sort of grinding them out that I, I get a, a weird kick out of seeing. I think I always like everyone trying to pick sort of dark horses for the tournaments. I think Ukraine were one of them and, and showed the reasons why in that sort of 10 minute space where they actually decided to play football. Um, How did you like that, uh, Yarma, Yarma, you, that Yarmolinko? You can't goal, help right? yourself as an Antonio, oh. but seeing Ben that goal in an A, think. I've seen that goal before, but is is it too late? Yeah. Is it is it too late to try again? <laughs> it, is it too late? I don't know. It makes me crazy because like I can see it. I don't know how he's on the bench at West Ham when yeah. he scores I don't those, those goals like that. And 
He would have changed everything, guys. We would be we would have won a title by now if we'd just gotten that Yarmolenko. You'll never get Yarmolenko for ten million or some form of knockdown. You know that we as Evertonians will be absolutely all over that, but. Hey, all jokes aside, wouldn't you rather be bringing him off the bench than some of the absolute shit we've been bringing off the bench for the last couple seasons? Oh, yeah, but Lord. if we were Rob, we'd have half oh, the anyway. league on our, on our watch list at Everton. But... No, I know. I know. He'd never score again <laughs> if he played for Everton. I know how this works. I, you know, I, well, I get it. Just, just to touch um, on a team that have absolutely uh, stumped the I also thought that, that opening game, if anyone saw Turkey play against Italy... I thought Turkey were absolutely appalling, um, and I know that. I, I don't know. It, everyone seems to seems to feel quite nice when Italy are doing well at major tournaments. That they're, they're a side that even the neutral likes to see progress because they are one of those sides that gets to the quarterfinals, and you you know at that point they've got the pedigree to go the entire way. But I think Turkey had been earmarked as one of those sides who could who could rustle a few feathers. But based on Friday night's performance, it doesn't look like that at all. They're missing their talent. Yeah. I think that the best, the best group game is. And secondly, it's not. I think a lot of the sentiment. Around, oh, sorry. I was going to say a lot of the sentiment around Italy. I think has to do with how much people love the anthem. That's. I'm convinced that that's a, a fair chunk of that. Too. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the kits. It's all there, isn't it? Oh yeah. It's hey. It's all awesome. I you know. It's the. It's. I imagine they go straight from those kits into, you know, three thousand dollar Armani suits and get on their Vespas and just love. pick up chicks and <laughs> drink wine and enjoy life. I, I think it's an amazing, amazing, was, amazing thing. I was put out that they wore the away kit though. There was really no need to wear all white against the team in all red. I don't even understand. And by the way, I don't really get. I, I know that I forget who on Croatia was making reference to England getting all these you know, home games at Wembley. Like, I don't really understand the format of how, because like, Italy was wearing the quote road shirt, road kit yeah. because they were technically the road team in Rome or something like that. Like, I don't understand why the decisions are made to put certain teams in certain places. And imagine this is some kind of COVID protocol, but I don't really get it. Where was it due to it, be held? This, this one? one? <laughs> Bizarrely. The, the, yeah. Oh, was this the plan all along? Well, because of the anniversary, it's like the anniversary yeah, of the, the uh, scatter all the games across the Euros, which obviously, COVID aside, holding holding a tournament in my mind, it's all about generating that energy that one country can provide by just sheer overexcitement, and and it really doesn't matter what country that is. I think yeah. us as Brits, we we hark back twenty five years to Euro ninety six, and and still remember how the nation just has a bit of a different feel for four weeks. It, it, to be fair, it, it's like that when England go deep into into any competition at all. But I think this one just dilutes the, the whole enthusiasm of it. And I, I know that well, as soon as the football starts, as a neutral, watching at home on your telly, it, it essentially doesn't really matter. But you kind of you kind of cheat all of these nations who are just getting dangled the, the host carrot and never, never able to grasp yeah. it. I think I think that's a good point. I mean, sort of geographically, it's only like holding a tournament in a country yeah. the size of the states, yeah. isn't it? Basically, which in the states it, it's fine because USA ninety four was brilliant. Is that the twenty twenty six? Europe is US, Europe. Europe is like twice the size of Texas, yeah. land wise. <laughs> I mean, it's 
<laughs> yeah, it's not like a, it's not like unless they're sending them, you know, into Siberia. This is pr- I don't think it's necessarily a logistical thing, but like Mark said, it's yeah, it's nice yeah. to have one host country and the whole the whole you know the whole country getting super into it. And and these sorts of events are rewards, frankly, for, for these countries yeah. and big economic boons. It does feel a little bit diluted. That's the thing. Yeah, there's definitely a sense that it's not like it's. I know it's because it's like it because of COVID and stuff like that, and there's no fans or not enough fans in the ground, but there is definitely a sense that there's something a little bit yeah, not quite right about this tournament. It doesn't feel like it's one big tournament. It just feels like it's a load of games. Yeah. Well, if the games are good, but you know what, though? I feel like as the games go on, if, if they continue to get better, as they seemingly have been over the last couple of days, I, I think that um and again i know people will disagree on that but like i found nothing of any any redeeming entertainment value of turkey italy other than the anthem you know i mean like that was cool but the, you know the game was crap that's just turkey's bad but d- to mark's point like yeah you have i mean spain sweden you know the nil nil is the usually is the silver bullet argument that americans make about why this sport is bullshit and no one no one's ever gonna get into it in america but it was the most entertaining nil nil draw i've seen in a while and i thought the atmosphere was kind of was pretty cool and i think that if the games continue to be pretty intriguing and 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 have entertainment value which doesn't necessarily require five goals but 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 having good games i think will make that feeling you know as the tournament goes along get a little better but you're right like i i do think that having it in one place is certainly a a different vibe than, than what you've got here. And, and frankly, guys, I think we're all just sort of kind of getting used to kind of like your, your reaction, Mark, to the hungry Portugal, that the environment there and everything like that. I just think we're all kind of getting our brains back wrapped around live sport with fans and we're all kind of dipping our toes back into it. They, and, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. There's but a particularly I'm, I'm really set of hungry fans behind the goal that they'll be shooting towards in the second half. And a late one and, and there's limbs behind that goal and I, I am going to march straight into the street and declare football officially back because I think great. Yeah, I mean Les you, you briefly touched on it then in terms of the the 2026 tournament which is USA Mexico and Canada I mean logistically that, that blows this out the park but Ninety four was the last time that the USA had any form of major tournament. Oh, sorry, the World Cup over there. Um, but would would having Mexico and Canada involved kind of take away the the magic for that from a you know from an MLS fan and from an American point of view? <laughs> an MLS <laughs> fan point of view. Well, first of all, how dare you, sir? Uh, you. I'm, I'm very, I've been very clear on this podcast many times that I actively uh, actively try not to watch MLS. And I am very proud of that fact, and I won't have that kind of slander thrown my way. Um, no, so here's the thing. Yes, I do think that, like, it's, it's interesting because, like, Canada, I don't really – I don't get that part of it as much, but Hey, look, you know, if, if Toronto want like having Canada as one of the three hosts means that there's going to be games in Toronto and that's probably it. Okay. Otherwise everything's going to be in the U S and in Mexico, even it's probably going to be Mexico city and maybe one other, not that they don't have the stadium infrastructure, but I'll be interested to see how they actually spread that out. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is that I'm, I'm all for these countries getting a piece of, you know, piece of the environment, the glory, what have you. But 
when you think about how big North America is, guys, it's it's just it, I don't I, I think that it kind of further reiterates that uh, to be a traveling supporter for one of these sides to go to a major competition like the Euros or World Cup is incredibly and increasingly financially prohibitive for people. And I I mean, I li- like I can't wait for 2026. I live here. I am going to I'm going to almost guarantee that some set of the games are going to be at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, which is about eh, less than three hours from me. So I'm I'm going to try to go, even if I'm watching like Poland, Ukraine, or something. Like I'll go just because I want to see games. In fact, I don't really care about seeing the U.S. team. I mean, if I can, fine, but I, I don't really care. I, I really would like to see. You know, I'd like to see Colombia play because that would be Colombia or Argentina or Brazil because those are going to be the environments that are going to be best. But it, it will be weird when they when they're putting Brazil and Col- you know or Colombia up in a Canadian venue for these for some group match or something like that. So I think there will be a lot of consternation when the draw happens. But uh, look, either way, I'll take getting the tournament in any way that we can at this point. But the USA absolutely could do it on their own and don't need to bring in Canada or Mexico. But I guess it's nice that, that that's how yeah. it's going to work out. I didn't realize it was Mexico as well because they've obviously held I didn't either. two of the greatest World Cups ever in my mind. The, the, oh, the 70 World Cup and the 86 sure. one. Um, For sure. Yeah, it's, it's strange that it's like two countries who could easily hold it on their own. Well, they have to split it and throw Canada in as well. I don't know if that's because they want to limit. I mean, so in Mexico, for instance, Mexico's hosted the World Cup before. And by the way, Mexico, as far as North America goes, Mexico is the passion pit, if you will, of 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 football fandom in terms of fans who are plugged in. And by the way, depending on where the games are in the United States, if it's Mexico playing any other country, even the United States, you're going to have Mexican fans. If, if the games are in Dallas or in Los Angeles, for instance, uh, those the, the Mexican fans will outnumber the U.S. fans. I guarantee you, it's not even it's not even going to be close. And it's a great atmosphere. Um, but I, yeah, I again, we're we're years away from that. I don't know what the logistics will be, but um, anyway, I don't want to get too far off the Euros. It's 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 great. I'm looking forward to, in particular, the the for me, it's a two o'clock game, the uh, France Germany game today. Um, be interested to see if uh, you know we. we get Luca Dean at any point during that game or anything like that. But yeah, it should be fun. Um, Wanted to ask you guys also just to kind of wrap up on the euros um, is, is the, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this is the, once it gets underway, I mean, I feel like the international hype machine that we go through for the years leading up to this that consists of all these international game and nations league and all this stuff. It, it all just feels like a lot of buildup for then just this month. Do, do you guys think that even with this kind of format where you've got it spread out in countries and you've got kind of limited capacity, is there any possibility for this to, to kind of live up to any of that hype or is this all just going to be down to whether the games themselves are intriguing enough or not? And, I, and part B to that question is, is do you guys share concerns about, you know, what people have been bringing up more and more lately, which is a lot of these players are just dead, dead tired after seemingly endless football and COVID restrictions and uh, living in bubbles and, and all these things. I, I just, I, I know they had to play the Euros. I'm glad, I love seeing international tournaments, but there is a part of me that frankly wonders, would it have been better off waiting even another year and just kind of, 
you know, just getting getting it to 2022 and kind of reconfiguring the schedule, uh, a la the Olympics and what they've had to do at times. Yeah, I think uh, I think the player fitness is a massive concern because weirdly the players have never had as much power in the game as they've got now, but they've never been more commodified. Yeah. I don't think, and not by so it used to be the case that yeah. you would consider commodities of clubs. They're just commodities of the game now. So with so much international football being played. It's like they are just part of this product. They're a commodity to be bought and sold and flogged to death, basically, because I can't see how this much football can be doing them any good at all. The truncated season, the lack of a pre-season, straight into international tournaments. The fixtures yeah. are not tomorrow for the Premier League. Um, so then that all you know that all starts ramping up. As soon as this finishes, it's going to be back to pre-season, back into another season. And yet all the international games, they don't, they don't get any rest. So that is a massive, massive concern for me because, as you saw last season, there was a lot of games where a lot of players were missing, and you weren't getting the best eleven be the best eleven, um, you know, and that's yeah. that's what you want to see, isn't it? it? It's frustrating when you can't put out, you know, the best players you've got, as we mm-hmm. saw with Rodriguez and um, the amount of games he played. So I just think it feels like it's only something that's going to get worse because these players all have a breaking point. Some, you know, some have a sort of lower pain threshold than others. Some will play through it. But there's got to be a point where you're just going to have players breaking down all over the shop. So that is that is a concern for me, to be honest. Why why do why do they start the season in August? I, I've always found that to be, I mean, to your point, like it's even in non-tournament years, like like uh, you know, non-Euro, non-World Cup years, it still feels like the the off season for these guys, and 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 what we're talking about here is the recovery period physically for a lot of these guys is already. Mm-hmm too short as it is. And I'm just thinking, I, I get the argument that, well, you got to start in August because it's the season's already going to end in May. And so therefore you, you can't, you've got to get all these games in. But I mean, A, the reason for that is all this, all the international break. Like to me, if you've just completed the Euros, there should not be any international friendlies for <laughs> like a no. year. Like we, we like at least with players that are that are of the caliber that that are coming from the major leagues. I just I I, I think that we will get to a a you know inflection point here where where we begin to ask ourselves questions about players who are we kind of redefine how we view players as, Oh, well they're, they're injury prone. They're this, this and that. And I'm kind of like, well, oh, God, they just never stop playing. Like Richarlison is incredibly durable. Think about him, right? What's he, what's his body going to be like at age 26? That's mm-hmm. young. But think about age 26 for Charleston after just, he never stops playing. He never stops playing. And I just wonder about guys like that. I, I, I obviously I watch, Every Columbia game during Copa America, watching Yerry Mina, just like hoping to God nothing happens to his you know, hamstring or his groin or something. Uh, I was relieved when Ben Godfrey didn't make the final England squad because I I know he's young and he can do it, but I want him to get rest. Like I think Miles, regardless of what age these guys are, they matter down the road. I mean, we used to talk about it with worrying that Lukaku was playing too many minutes. And obviously he's, he's in a different league that really accentuates his abilities now. But I mean, I, I don't know that he would have been in the same if he kept playing in England uh, this long. I, I, it's really interesting with, with the way that international tournaments are just kind of, they're an expectation for these guys and they're considered this honor and, and none of them, none of them feel like they can say no. I mean, really, if, if we're being from honest, a, none from of them a time and point of view, no. I think that this would have been the opportunity to have, you know, six to eight weeks after the Euros. And I think in, in any other, 
basically, if the World Cup in Qatar was anywhere else, we wouldn't be having this debate because we wouldn't be having to sandwich a World Cup into a Christmas time in not next year, but the the season after. I think that is so. Mm. Whereas ordinarily, you'd you'd use this opportunity to push the start of the season back to the start of September. If anything, we need to be pulling it forward as as much as possible to create this four to five week gap in the time of a football calendar that yeah. clearly isn't there. I mean, ask ask any English footballer what it's like playing over December and January and then tell them that you've got to move all those games and put them somewhere else while you go and try and win the World Cup. I mean, even the thought of that is exhausting, never mind having to actually do it. In, in terms of in terms of burning these players out, I mean, you, you could debatably argue that that's why we've seen such open tournaments, I would say, in the last few years. I think if you go back to a tournament like South Africa, for example, which was pretty dull, um, there wasn't too many upsets that I can think of by way of sort of teams getting into into lesser stages. And potentially the reason why we're seeing Wales get to the semi-finals of tournaments and Croatia get to finals is, yes, the hard work that those nations have done in progressing the game there, but also because every other nation are, are pretty fucked. And I, I appreciate that players of Wales and Croatia will be in the same basket there, but if you look at a Portugal team right now, for example, who've got Cristiano and, and Bruno Fernandes, that before you even go on to the other stars that they've got, they're, they're two fellas who are expected to lead their team out every single game without any form of break at all. And then Portugal go out in the round of 16, they'll be head-scratching and saying, why aren't they reaching their full potential? And as you, as you quite rightly say, footballers are expected to be robots now. Um, and as, as much as we... The unfortunate nature of this is that as much as football fans like us can sit around and say that, as soon as you bang a game like this on the telly or offer me four weeks' worth of Euros, we're all guilty of falling into the trap of let's fully indulge in this and let's get on board with it because it's it's essentially what we want to see. In terms of what you asked the question, is, is it... Hmm going to live up to the hype well yeah it is all based around the actual match as opposed to what country it's in or what domestic build-up there is and in the last few years we've never really been disappointed it doesn't look as though we're going to be disappointed in this competition either because the group stages we own, we own a, the second and third round of the group stages are as Les said the best bits of a tournament it, it doesn't look as though it's going to relent in terms of action or goals this is essentially the auditions of the X Factor that, that we're all – maybe when it goes to live shows, we'll all start to look back and think, well, do you know what? This isn't quite as entertaining. Uh, maybe these guys all need to rock. <laughs> but at, at the moment, as, as much as your head tells you that all of this is wrong, UEFA and FIFA and all of these corporations know that the idiotic football fan, which is what we all essentially are, will totally – into this as soon as it's offered up on a plate. Yeah. yeah, no, very true. Les, um, I, I think I can wrap this up by by simply uh, getting your thoughts on this one final question around the Euros. Are Scotland always going to be Scotland? Yeah. 
Okay. I sure as Everton are going to be Everton Scotland. <laughs> Man, I, by the way, the XG for that game, and I, you know how I love XG. Uh, <laughs> now I'm an expert on it because I can follow a Twitter account that posts the XG. So therefore, you know, I'm basically Mick Green all now. Um, God, they just, they, they, they should have so comfortably won that game that I, I, you know, I don't even know what, what more to say on it, but I, I, that goal, <laughs> that goal, that goal I, I kept thinking to myself, it's amazing how much better that was than the Wayne Rooney goal against West Ham. And that one was a pretty good one. But this mm-hmm. one, I think my favorite part of the goal, and I'm like, why am I blanking on the name for the goal? Um, yeah. Schick, yes, Pat, Pat Patrick Schick. Uh, many, he's he's definitely been on the kind of all time name list of guys that people wanted to be wanted Everton to be linked with. But my favorite part of that whole sequence, yet yeah, the 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 skill, the bend, all that stuff was just incredible and alien and otherworldly. But it was the goalkeeper flying into the net, and I just what I need to do is I need to get a slow motion shot of that with like the Titanic uh, music playing <laughs> behind it or whatever we need to add to the, to the layers of drama. But I mean, he flew into that net, like he'd been shot by Lee Harvey Oswald from a distance. It was incredible. I, uh, I you know, I just, I, I think that was, that's the kind of goal that I've wanted to see my whole life. And I didn't even know it. Adagio for strings would soundtrack that quite nicely. Oh yes. Oh, the platoon. I saw, oh, yeah. I saw people that, absolutely. Oh, that's in Scotland incredible. in relation to Everton, you know, the, the perennial disappointers always get to that point where they're, they're going to kick on and it's all <laughs> going to be different and it never is. But I, I didn't see the goal live, but when I watched right. it back, uh, Les, you, you might remember this goal, but it, it reminded me so, so vividly of a goal that was scored at Goodison Park against Everton. Uh, and it was in the FA Cup against Bradford City, and Chris Waddle scored from about oh, forty-five oh. yards. <laughs> Andre just went on a mad dribble in his own bo- in his own um, half. Excuse me, gave the ball away, and Chris Waddle just pinged it for Simon to the park end net. And honestly, as, as Patrick Schick's ball was dropping into the net, I got all those shudders from from that day. I could myself get up and walk out of the park oh. end as that goal went in in the Euros. Yeah. <laughs> it just instinctively <laughs> stood up and walked out the room. <laughs> you can walk out. Oh. The uh, the uh, and again, I'm not saying this is a joke, but I just just to kind of you know put a period on exactly how difficult that goal was. The uh, the XG value of that shot was 0.01 or something like that. It's like, it literally is, it's almost literally like a one in a, you know, 10, 100,000 million type. So someone type put it was incredible. Say, you know, this um, was the XG result from the game. And then someone just posted the Brighton crest as a response. And I thought, that, that is us if we are point great. <laughs> oh, I, or Mark, I was, uh, it took a lot of my own self-control in one of the group chats that I'm in not to just go full on Graham Potter joke series after that result because I wanted to be like, yeah, but guys, don't be upset about Scott. They may have lost 2-0, but they dominated the XG. How, <laughs> but, many, how many moral victories yeah. do you think we'd have if we appointed Graham Potter? Every oh, game would be that Palace game, wouldn't it? Every single game. I just can't. Yes, that's – well, Okay. I'm not going to say, and this is a perfect segue into our managerial discussion because 
I'm not going to say Grand Potter wouldn't work. I don't want to be old man who hates math guy because that's what I feel like. <laughs> if you, I feel like if you are so I fall into this camp of believing that um, advanced analytics and metrics offer valuable insight into, uh, you know, everything from squad building, you know, building the foundations for the way you target players and, and the way you deploy them. I believe all of those things. But I do think that stats like, and again, I hate to pick on XG, but XG and all these other different different stats are only one particular layer of insight amongst multiple layers that enable you to make a broader uh, evaluation, right, of, of someone. I cannot divorce, so I'll use Graham Potter as an example. I, I, I love the idea of a manager showing up and rocking up to Goodison and magically, you know, Guilty Sigerson is holding on to the ball and passing all over the place and being a real number 10 or, or having, having, you know, just Roberto Martinez peak 2013 football return. I, that all sounds fantastic, but what, what, what no one can seem to answer for me when they make these more, these very intellectual nuanced arguments, like I don't want to be put into this, this, uh, this, this uh, column of I'm skeptical of, quality football. I just don't get it. You know, all I know is that the XG, the quality football, I can acknowledge all those things are really nice, but I can also tell you that Graham Potter literally had the same record in the premier league for two straight seasons. The only difference between season one and season two is that he finished 16th instead of 15th. I don't get the, the argument that, well, if he just had a striker, he'd be better he, his teams would have been awesome when con- at the same time, those same people are saying that, you know, not having Raul Jimenez didn't affect, you know, the Nuno's fortunes at Wolves last season or Diego Jota or any of that. Like, I think that that part's weird. But the, the other main thing is that the idea that we're going to be a club that struggles to win games that we should and then we're going to employ a manager who's won 25% of his games and say, but this time, but trust me, it'll work. Mm. You just have to understand why that will work. I, I, I can't, I think it's a bridge to like the reason Potter isn't going to get hired guys is that not because, I mean, as much as everyone wants to say, well, it's because Marcel Brands is being held hostage and not allowed to do anything. And you know, he, he, whatever. I, I really just think it comes down to the fact that even if Marcel Brands likes Graham Potter, that a managerial decision by any club is going to be a committee decision. It always is. And if you think that the owner doesn't have any ability to just raise his hand and say, I- I'm going to say yes or no. I mean, that's just not how it works most of the time. Guys, I don't think that he can go from Carlo Ancelotti to then say, trust me on this. Because everything don't have the credibility to do it. They don't have the credibility to say, we, we can hire this guy who's finished 16th and 15th. And it'll work out. I just don't, I think it's a bridge too far. And that's kind of why we're probably landing on Nuno regarding, and I get that people are under, underwhelmed by it, but you can't compare the records. And at the end of the day, you can be bored with the football or whatever that even means anymore. But, you know, it's a bottom line sport. I, I, I don't mean to, to make it oversimplified, but you can't, you can't have that record at Brighton given, especially by the way, how much they spent as much money as we did over the last five years, almost in terms of, of transfer fees and all these other things. So this idea that they're poor and that's why they couldn't do it. I, that's it just doesn't hold water. Yeah. I, 
I briefly jumped onto the uh, the Potter train, sort of like an extra in Bonanza, off a bridge, onto the train, and I fell immediately off it. As soon as I found out he'd, he'd won, what, 18 games? Yeah. That was 76. Oh. Um, I can't get over those numbers. No, I know. What? That's the thing, isn't it? Okay, his team plays attacking football. They probably should win more than they do. But the overriding stat is he's won 18 games out of 76. And if you're looking for a manager to manage Everton, you know, this is where we went wrong with Marco Silva. Although he was right. very, very unlucky in his time there. I also think he probably wasn't good enough. And his previous appointments sort of bore that out, didn't it? It was like, right. no one really knows why we were chasing him so much for so long. Um, but I think this this is... Just a- well, unless, can I, can I ask, add one more thing to that? If you're... If you want to make the argument that Graham Potter just wasn't, he was unfortunate or unlucky, and he, some of these results should have gone his way, I could even acknowledge that. And then I would say to you, so you think he's going to come to Everton, a place <laughs> where luck flourishes like you know a jungle flower? So I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Yeah. <laughs> it just, I, I can't. I, it's just, it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask in terms of a leap of faith. Yeah, I think, I think the most worrying thing for me about this whole manager search is that Everton have just got a really lousy record of appointing managers. I would say now I'm going to go back decades and decades here. Um, the 70s were a write-off because we held on to Harry Catchett till 1974, at least four years too long. Um, then we employed Billy Bingham. Then we employed Gordon Lee when managers like Bobby Robson and Brian Clough were floating around. There were much better managers. Everton were still a massive club. We made the wrong decisions. We've not appointed... We've not made the right managerial appointments. Well, I'd say we've done it twice since 1987. So that's David Moyes and Joe Royal. And even Joe Royal was 12 months too late. Uh, mm. The club has just got this horrible, horrible knack of making the wrong managerial appointments. Colin Harvey was the easy choice in '87, not definitely not the right choice, but he was the easy choice. Went with that, didn't work. Going back to Howard Kendall twice, massive mistake. Mike Walker can't even go there. Ooh. Walter Smith, I don't know. So I suppose on paper he'd done everything in Scotland, so you thought, well, why can't that translate down to England? What a terrible appointment. David Moore, yeah. a good appointment. But again, maybe he stayed too long. Roberto Martinez wasn't right. Um, Ronald Koeman wasn't right. Marco Silva wasn't right. Mm. Sam Allardyce wasn't right. That's a terrible record over, what, yeah. four or five decades? So it's kind of, you kind of think, well, you know, there's been so many different people in charge of the club across that time period, and none of them have got it right, or very rarely got it right and all different types yeah. you, you've just mentioned a slew of guys that represent different stages of their career levels of accomplishment styles of football you know carl we all joked that if carlo ancelotti of all people the the jesus christ of football <laughs> management himself can't do this then what hope do we have i mean that's why i've just had a hard time and mark i want your thoughts too like i don't know it's it's hard for me to get to up or down or mad or outraged or enthusiastic or whatever about any of these guys because their merits are almost secondary to the fact that they are coming into a club that has to solve more issues than just the manager. The, I know we keep bringing this up every week, Mark, but I, I, I don't. I think people continue to view whoever we hi, sign as the manager that that will be the magic bullet that solves everything. And that's, ever since Les said he's getting off the Potter train, all I can see is him arriving at Hogwarts. And I'm, 
I'm really stinky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> oh, we got to we got to meme we got to meme that up. <laughs> I have actually been just to the side. I have actually right. been on the Harry Potter train in Scotland. Could- on the vibe. Oh my god. So there you go. Picture if you've got pictures, we there need we some go. Yeah. For this, uh, for this <laughs> yeah, I think for all of the for all of the reasons that Les has just said in terms of how poor for one of a more hopeful where we've been at appointing managers, I I can't get in my mind where people are coming from when they are so against Nuno Santo or so against any manager because how can any Evertonian in their right mind know what this club does or doesn't need based on the evidence that we've had? I mean, we could go back way further, but let's just talk in the 10 years since David Moyes left. Given what you've seen and the variety that we've had, and in particular, the last guy who's just left us, how can you possibly know what's going to work next? And that, like, I'm not a massive, right. you know, Santo fan. I'm not a discourager of Everton appointing him. I don't really care about Graham Potter. If he comes in, I'll support him to the hill. I haven't really got any form of massive evidence for him not working, other than the fact that Brighton's results have been relatively poor in recent seasons. Who knows if it's different? I think Graham Potter is probably the closest to a David Moyes-esque appointment. The, the, the psyche there from an Everton point of view is that that's the kind of thing that we're going for. Graham Potter does not strike me as the type of manager that Farhad Mashiri will go and say, come in and win us a league in the next five years because I don't think the expectation would ever be there for the club in particular, but for a manager to escalate himself so quickly if we were to bring him in. But the, the quick fix and the ideology about going out and, and getting someone to win us trophies Yes, it didn't work because he left for Real Madrid, but th- there was nothing on the pitch that made me think that that had legs in terms of in terms of going out and and building a successful team very quickly. And and yeah. that was the mo for for Carlo Ancelotti. And I, I get that it's easy now that he's left to say that wasn't working. And and who knows, it may have done, and we may have knocked down all of these these boundaries this season by by beating Liverpool and Spurs and whoever else, but. I've seen nothing now in pre-season that we can invest in on the last 12 months and say, well, that's that's how we're going to go out and do it. That's how we're going to go out and play football. I can see a path to Everton getting into the latter stage of the FA Cup whilst also not getting relegated because, quite frankly, winning an FA Cup and surviving would be the best season that this club has had in the last 25 years. And that's... That's just how it is at the moment, but yeah, that's that's probably the leg I'd stand on in terms of encouraging people not to base their negativity on what they think that man could do at this club because it, it's so it's so impossible to picture what someone like Nuno Santo, for example, could do at Everton. You, you might as well, in my mind, disregard previous career paths and, and, and previous jobs and I know you can't do that because you kind of have to take that into consideration when you are mm-hmm. appointing someone but not to put Everton on this magical football pedestal but pe- people change when they come to this football club and the Nuno Santo that you saw at Wolves making all these niche transfer moves and getting people in and progressing them into the team across the next 18 months you're not going to get that at Goodison Park you're not, you're not going to get Park M politely clapping while while someone you brought in from Boa Vista 
kind of works its way into Premier League football. It's just, it's not going to happen, and that that's. Yeah, but we say that's what we want, Mark. We say all the time well, we, we we need someone who will who will do these things right. But then we get we, we get very patient very quickly. You know? that, I mean, that's my biggest reserv- the, the biggest reservation I have about any of these candidates is the tolerance that people would have for Graham Potter if it didn't go well early on. And I think the the difference with Moyes here is that first of all we were a lot worse as a football team. So David Moyes could underperform. We could go to Man City on the last game of the season, get handed our arse five nil, finish seventeenth, and there was realistically not a great deal of pressure on his job because everyone knew that we'd been crap for ten years before that. So he was at least not being any worse than what we'd seen previously. The fact that Everton had already survived on that last day and didn't need a result at Man City was probably progress in the eyes of Bill Kenwright. And I think the the other difference really is that because Everton have escalated themselves to mid-table mediocrity in the last few years is that Graham Potter would be expected to come in and within a couple of years, you could probably say this for any manager, get us to fifth or sixth place in the Premier League. And I don't think, and I know that David Moyes had never experienced those heights either, but the fact that Graham Potter has never really ever been around that level of the Premier League or, or that end of the Premier League, it, it, it concerns me. And it doesn't mean that he's not capable of doing it, but I can, I can in my mind, picture a Nuno Santo Everton side putting a bit of pressure on those sides. Um, and with Graham Potter, I think it's, it, it's a little bit more reserved. Um, and I know that the XG merchants and, and all of those things will point to him as being being a manager who is able and he probably on paper looks like someone who just needs to be handed a better set of 11 footballers and saying, well, keep doing what you're doing, but if you generate 7.46 on XG levels, then Cavalier is probably going to score a couple of goals for you. And I appreciate it doesn't always work like that. And I think... People at the moment are asking for style of football at Everton. And I think that the reservations I have about that is that, first of all, we've got absolutely no reason as Everton Football Club to say that next year we want to win things and we want to look nice when we're doing it. Because quite frankly, we, we haven't earned the right to do any of those things. In my mind, style of football does not mean scoring two or three on the XG rate in every game. The style of football for an Everton fan, I would, I would think we're, we're all pretty much universal on this, is a lot more emotive than that. It's more edgy as seat stuff. And if we only create a couple of chances, but my midfield win every single tackle. in, And it, it sounds a bit minimalist for a football team who want to finish fourth or fifth to be like that. But we all know what an iconic and successful Everton team feels like not necessarily what it looks like but how, how often in, in recent years have we said that so many of our players are, are pretty difficult to relate to and it's because you are left in no doubt when you watch this team that you care more about the result than what the players do and I know that I don't know any of the players individually to be able to say that but in terms of a and I'm not a body language expert before people start saying that as well but you 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 can feel it at Goodison Park that there is no escaping reality in that stadium. And it is it is different to other stadiums and football fans of other clubs can laugh at me all they want for that. But it, it just is because we we can 
we can smell bullshit in a footballer from absolutely miles away. And it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the curse of playing at, at Goodison Park. And I think we, we've said it about managers as well in that someone like Graham Potter, you, you look at the guy and think, I, I'm concerned for you if you lost five games in a row because you have an dying amount of resilience. And in the same breath, the people who... We're that fickle that the, the people who, who do have reservations about Nuno Santo, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but be left in no doubt that if he comes in and Matias Nunes scores in his first game and we win the first four games in a bounce and James Rodriguez recreates this year's August James Rodriguez, then you, you very, very quickly turned yourself from having reservations about him to wanting to think of the next song for the Gladys Street to sing about him. And I think that that's why now it, yeah. it's not necessarily apathy that you have, Rob, but this kind of meh feeling that we have to appoint a manager is because we've, we've kind of done 40 years of managerial experimentation in the last 10. And we, we have essentially got nowhere. Right. So I, I it's it's not stepping back and not caring, but it, it is kind of just throwing all the papers up in the air as far as CVs go at the moment, and and not necessarily just plucking any out the air. But the, the reason that I'm not I'm not banging banging the door down about Nuno Santo is that he's he's clearly a capable fella at, at doing this job. He he has a past record of progressing the football team that he is at, and and that at the moment is all that matters to me. If someone can come in and promise to take you on slightly further than he was when he was there, then he's done better than the last four or five Everton managers, quite frankly, because even under Carlo Ancelotti, we are in retreat. Um, it's it's hard as Everton fans because we, we want this affinity with players and we want an affinity and a connection with a manager. And you want you want to look at the list and say, you're the guy that I want to love for the next four or five years. But... This is probably just Everton getting into the era of football is not like that anymore. David Moyes is not going to come back and do that. Graham Potter mm. is not going to come in and be your David Moyes. If someone comes in and does an average job for three years and we somehow fluke a League Cup, then that is progress. And, and that is that is the disgusting nature of not only football, but what Everton have done to us all. Yeah, I think just just to pick up on that about what you said about when Moyes came in, yeah. the game feels very different now, doesn't it? it it's, yeah. completely, it's a completely different, not different sport, but it's a completely different game. And I just think like what you were saying then about um, it's like Everton fans are kind of demonised as this like horrible, awful crowd that hates all the players, but we're not difficult to please. If the players do leave, every, put everything into the game. You know, you saw the players like Dennis Strachwell-Ersi, he was <laughs> shite, but, yeah. he, you know, he got a couple of goals, he tried hard, and you give him, you know, you let him get on with that. So long as players are showing that sort of willingness, they get away with a lot yeah. with the Everton crowd, and we're not that difficult to please. I think the worrying thing for me is the players aren't fit enough to do that, and this has been, remember me and Matt touched on this before Ancelotti got appointed, not saying we're geniuses in this regard, but we were looking at like is when he went to Bayern Munich after Pep, and it was like the fitness levels and the intensity of that team dropped off a cliff. And we were sort of saying, like, is that really what this team needs? 
because they need to be whipped into shape. When you play yeah. fit, you make bad decisions mm. as the game wears on. And they, you know, they, they may wanna, you know, put everything into the game, but after an hour they're done and they, they physically can't do it. I think we need a manager who's gonna come in and take that fitness very, very seriously. Because we've seen from what probably when when Mourinho took over Chelsea for the first time, the game then became about huge, physically imposing players who could run the whole 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. It sort of varied a little bit. So sort of when Martinez was in charge, it was sort of a bit more Spain were in vogue and, you know, passing it round the back was in. But it's sort of going back to that massive athletes. You know, they're basically the biggest commodity in the game now. And we can't compete with that and we need to. So I think for me, I think... If, if a manager's got on a CV that he gets your players fitter first and foremost, yeah. I think that would be a great starting point. Yeah, I I keep coming back to that with what and, and again I'm. It's weird because the more extreme you that I, I this is probably just my nature, Les. I I think that the more I'm in a group where people are just they just outright reject even considering learning a thing more about Nuno other than what they saw last season and that that's all the information that they need and that the previous two seasons were what, like, it's almost like they don't matter. Like that, I I find that to be at times like rhetorical terrorism, you know, and you can't negotiate with terrorists. And I like, don't get me wrong because I I don't want it to feel like I'm just picking on, on people who are pro pot or anything like that. Cause the, the irony is, is that I don't even know that we've been that strongly linked with Potter anyway, but Potter has almost become this symbolic, um, you know, placeholder for those who you guys are describing uh, that, that want this very aesthetically pleasing brand of football. And by the way, that's the thing is it's not like I'm saying, no, I don't like pleasing football. I'd rather see much more boring football. Thank you very much. I, I'm not that guy. But I will tell you, some of the most, quote, boring style football I saw was my first year of supporting and getting into Everton. That was um, that was the uh, the 04 Champions League Cinderella run where we were scoring a goal a game. And and that was and, you know, because you know what? Uh, not to not to Americanize your sport, guys. Not to oversimplify something that I know is nuanced, but winning is fucking fun. I don't care how it's done either. I, you know, if 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 if, if, if boring if boring still means three points, um, you know, I guess I'm just not I'm not smart enough to get it, but I'll take it, and I, I want that. Now, here's the thing about Nuno from. I'm still kind of formulating my opinion, but I still, at the end of the day, believe within the framework or the context of the argument we've been making about the fact that if Everton have better players, then there are a lot of competent managers who could take them further. I mean, and that's part of it too. But Les, you bring up something that I've been thinking about constantly lately, which is the fitness part of this. And from everything that I've read, that if there's anything that gets me excited about Nuno, which I, I know some people will think that's kind of a... a an oxymoron or something like that. You can't get excited about Nuno. I I do like the fact that a, he's, he is by all accounts, uh, a kind of an intimidating hard ass, uh, in terms of, of how he deals with his players. And yet you, you, everything I've read is that these players were willing to die for this guy. Like that. They really, you know, there's that fine line. You can't be such a hard ass that, 
that, uh, and by the way, hard asses, uh, hard ass managers sometimes can only be at a place for, you know, three seasons and they need to move on because players tune that person out and they need to hear another voice in the room. Right. But I don't really care about five years from now. I know everyone's like project, project, project. Like, I, you know, look, 10 years from now is, I, I mean, who knows? I, I just don't know. I think Everton need to find someone who can progress them. And I don't really care how it's done. But I will say that Nuno, from everything I've read, emphasized fitness and he emphasized having not a big squad. I know everyone says that, but I mean, I think he was really like, I don't want players around who are not going to play. I've got to, I have to keep them all, you know, happy with minutes to a degree or keep them involved on some level. And therefore they have to be fit. Now, I think one of the, the, the misconceptions is that I mean, I've seen this a lot. People have been kind of rolling out all the pressing, the pressing stats because I've been led to believe that unless you are a high press clop like team, that you can't be an Everton team. You can't be a, 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 you know, like, because, you know, you guys mentioned that thing about players putting in a shift. Well, players putting a shift doesn't mean that that translates into we can only play this high press type of football. There's a lot of different ways that you can, A, work really hard and put in a shift and B, play a different style of football that is C, successful. Like I'm I'm not married to a system. I only want some better results. And so if you have guys that are fit and they don't they play a particular brand of football that, that is a formula that you found success with, I'm I'm open to ideas because God knows all the ideas that we've gotten thrown at us so far. They either work for a short period of time and then they flame out or they just don't work at all. Um, Roberto Martinez arguably had the longest, you know, he, it's like he took advantage of Moyes' fitness uh, levels with that side and gave them, gave them style and different ways of thinking about approaching the game. But he just, for whatever reason, did not emphasize fitness after that. Conversely, you can have a guy who does fitness has, has teams that are fit, but doesn't really have an approach to the game that makes sense. Look, I don't know if Nuno's the right guy. And by the way, we haven't even gotten to this guys, but I think we should ask the question the way that, that this stuff gets reported is fascinating too, because I think I've been spending like a lot of you time kind of wrapping your brain around Nuno as the front runner, because all of the, the big, you know, trusted source types were, were out basically saying that this, this is, I mean, pretty much a matter of, of, of when and not if uh, on Friday. Now we're slightly getting, and, and depending on who you talk to, we're getting the, well, he's the front runner, but it's not really necessarily been decided. They may still be talking to other people. I don't personally mind if they take a little more time and if, they, if there's someone else that they want to consider. I mean, I, it's a big decision and I get that, but I've spent time wrapping my brain around Nuno, at least as the idea of him being the front runner. And I'm as enthusiastic about that as I probably possibly could be at this point, which is not that much. And that's not Nuno's fault. That's about Everton. And that's about Everton's continued mid-table mediocrity that has begun to really set in. And that's, that is something that, that hopefully gets solved with whomever the manager is. But I think it's going to be Nuno, guys. But I don't know... If it isn't Nuno, Moyes has signed his deal, so it's not going to be him. I still just – I think the idea of bringing back Roberto Martinez is a very very much that ex-girlfriend thing where you forget all the fights and you just remember the hot sex. <laughs> you can't do that. And, and, and frankly, we can't be waiting until – like Belgium may win this thing or get to the final. We can't wait that long to appoint a manager. I just don't believe. I, I think we've got to have someone who can come in and get to work right away. And so – 
I don't know about you guys. Are, are there any other Galtier is the only one that I can think of that really kind of intrigues me. Uh, but I, I don't know if you guys, if it's not new, because we know him. the least about him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He won the title. That's all I, I just know, know that <laughs> the accent will come down on someone like Rafa Benitez or in particular, Roberto Martinez after six games. Galtier will get at uh, least eight right. games, and, and I'll enjoy the two games extra of peace. Um, the, that, that's it's the draw <laughs> of the unknown, isn't it? And I know it's it, ordinarily I'd say this is really flipping to say, well, I just want that manager that we've never heard of, who's just recently won a league, to come in and do exactly the same thing. But I think this is this is probably the opportunity that Evan Everton have gifted themselves through their own incompetence in recent years is that without using the phrase free hit, this is a period in time where Everton can afford a gamble because the question that we asked 18 months ago, which was, oh my God, what happens if Ancelotti comes in and it doesn't work? Well, we are there now and we still don't have that answer as to what the best next step will be. So why not just go a bit left field with it and and try a different approach as opposed to something that is tried and tested, not not purely for the football club, but for the league in general as well. And is, Isn't that the argument some are making for Potter is that it's just crazy enough to work because what do we have to lose right now? I mean, I, that's what I would have to probably get behind if we were going to... He probably has right that kind of Premier League attachment, which in my mind thinks that it's, it's a little bit more play safe than than someone like a Gaultier. Um, to, to expand on your question, Rob, in terms of other candidates, I am I am really struggling. Um, my, my main no at the moment is Rafa Benitez. Um, I, I know that he did great things at Liverpool. Same. I don't care that he lives locally and that all would work. And I don't care that he used to manage Liverpool, but he's not really been relevant at this level for too long now. I think that that is probably my my yes. concern. The, the funny thing about you mentioned about the way that this is portrayed in the media and the way that any managerial job is being reported, you can't help but think that this is just each individual party leaking whatever they think is required to escalate their candidate or their end goal. And the, this, yeah. there's obviously so much of this that goes on because. I'm I'm relatively confident at the moment that Nuno Santo was probably quite high on the list of candidates when we when we started this search. It's not totally impossible that we've approached people like Fonseca and, and Gaultier and asked the question. But for, for people to say, you know, Nuno Santo was interviewed and then Everton threw him out on the street because we hated him and then he went to Paris and they binned him off and Everton panicked and went and got him back. And now they're calling Rafa Benitez because they don't know what to do. Please don't listen to the red tops when you try and formulate an opinion about how an organisation is operating. And maybe I'm giving too much credit to a football club that I know will ultimately disappoint me, but it's not as scattergun as what the media would like to have you believe. And if it's been a reasonable and a prolonged approach for Nuno Santo, if we're ironing out things like how many staff he brings in and what the transfer budget is and all of these negotiations that take place, I'm fairly confident that Everton are not just waking up on a daily basis 
and putting their, their hand in the hat and pulling out a name to approach because even even we aren't that chaotic in terms of how we do things. Yeah. Yeah. If Evan want to appoint a manager who lives close by, I can be at the ground in 20 minutes. I was so. just going to say, we just did a whole 10 to 15 minutes of our own media uh, our own media Benitez was sensationally <laughs> named as the Hoylake Galaxy manager. <laughs> hey, and he plays the four two three one, which is contractually yeah. an obligation yeah, for any ever manager to play. So take a lot of boxes. Um, oh, all the boxes. I think, yeah, I think to pick up on your point there, Mark, about Everton doing something different. The thing this that, that, that I go back to time and time again is that we we had two yeah. hits at Tuchel, so. And we didn't take any of them. And that would have been... I mean, I know hindsight's brilliant and he turned out to be a yeah. class manager. But you kind of think with Gaultier, why why don't maybe they just think outside the box a bit and, you know, throw half the money right. they threw at Ancelotti? You know, he was on £11 million a season. I'm pretty sure if he threw £6 million at Gaultier, it's going to be a massive improvement on what he's on at Lille. And it's enough to get a conversation with him. Um, so, yeah, you know, something like that. Thing. We, we've talked to him, apparently. I mean, I, I've I've... I've read enough from the people who write stuff that is reported well that we've had conversations with a lot of these guys. And what we just don't know, I think, look, it's how classic Everton is this, guys. We take what we don't know and we then insert what we – we insert our own narratives, our own – our own. I've, I think I've said it before, our own – past trauma that Everton have, have, you know, have, have victimized us with. I mean, that's the, that's what we do. And, and I, I think that that's how in weird, some weird way Everton or the current setup under Marcel is designed to work. They don't really want us to know how all this stuff works in terms of the structure and decision-making so that no one person can get all the grief uh, for, for decisions that are made that we don't like. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, yeah. It's, as you said before about uh, Marcel Brands being held captive by the club, you know, he's, he's going to have a say in what's going on. But then so far, I'm sure, because essentially it's his club. So, you know, you, you are, they are there is going to be a long list of names that mm. they're all going to hammer out and go through and see what he can get. It's just going on past records, going on what everything we know about this club. You just can't really have much faith in them doing the right thing. Speaking about everything you know about do. this club, Rob, it's still... It's still weird to see people in denial about the fact that we appoint Nuno Santo and get Wolves at home on the first game of the season and get beat one nil. The, the oh. entire beautiful <laughs> house, which had so much energy and enthusiasm ninety minutes earlier, is drained and calling for his head. Um, or, or, or we go on the road against the promoted side, or, or, or go on the road against the promoted side and get beat pretty handily too. I mean, I've seen, I've yeah. seen that. We, that, we uh, absolutely XG times. the yeah, shit well. out of Watford and get beat four more. <laughs> <laughs> Keep forgetting Watford are back. They are just the turd that cannot be flushed out of the Premier League toilet. Um, yeah. So, tell, you know, Mark, you want I know you wanted to talk in uh, in this on on fixtures a little bit. Uh, did you say? I think you said earlier they're coming out yeah. here in a couple of days. Is it tomorrow, tomorrow. or no? No, it's tomorrow. Yeah. I, yeah. I. It's weird because I normally I'm getting excited about fixtures because I start to think, okay, when could I reasonably make it over for a game or maybe two? Uh, I guess that's going to be up to a lot of factors. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's going to matter as much, but. Um, 
I, you, I guess, Mark, talk to me about what your thoughts are on the fixtures and, and what they, I mean, it's so obvious to be like, oh, well, the, the schedule matters. I mean, yeah, of course it matters. It's just that we always say that we want this kind of soft start to the season because it gives us a platform to go on and blah, blah, blah. But it feels like every time we're given a, quote, soft start, we totally, totally suck. <laughs> and, and then occasionally we will have a really nice run at the beginning of a season like we had last season where we get carried away. And, and by the way, I still don't mind us getting carried away because joy is something that has to be experienced in the moment. And don't worry about how it's going to look later. Like I still enjoy the shit out of that first two months of the season. And I will not have anyone tell me that that was wrong. Uh, having said that, Mark, uh, fixtures coming out. Well, in, Thoughts. In, uh, in terms of that kind of soft opening and, and being ease since the season, I think the season that we've just come off the back of was pretty idyllic, you'd say, in terms of what teams you face and, and obviously the way that it ultimately panned out. I think the irony of, of that run of games at the start of the season was that the best performance and the best results arguably came with the, the most difficult challenge, which was which was Tottenham away. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do appreciate when people yeah. say, you know, you, you ultimately have to play them all twice, etc. I mean, in terms of things that I'll be looking out for, it's first and foremost just getting back. Um, so the first game of the season, we absolutely won it at home this year on the assumption that we can all go. Because, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's mental now to think of what going back to Goodison Park with a full health will be like. Um, Going back to away games is is one that's massively on on my list, and even even local games like Man City is always a great day out. Um, Liverpool is always a great day until that thing that happens when they start playing football. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that we get absolutely battered at Anfield this year, and we all come out and say, "Where was this last year?" Etc. Um, big big sort of social occasions like Boxing Day, which. You don't really care about who we're playing, but if we have got Crystal Palace at home, but you know that everyone will be in the boozer on the Boxing Day after the game or before the game or more than likely both, mm-hmm. they, they are the things that are probably going to matter a little bit more this season. Um, but yeah, you're right. In, in terms of how, how this opens and closes, you, you do, in an ideal world, want that that gradual ease. And, but what, what it ultimately leads to is a December, like we've just had, where you play... United, City, Barcelona, Arsenal, whoever whoever else we played in in December because it was just ridiculous where we had that that collection of great seat, great teams. But I, I think it, it's more the it's more the emotional elements of of the fixtures coming out this year than it is the sit down and, and pick out where Everton's points are going to come from because we all know the answer to the second half question. But it's, yeah. But it's more like a signal of a return. Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean, kind of feel just just thinking about that first game is is crazy. Getting getting back to Goodison, and I think regardless of who we play, part of me wants part of me wants that to be a massive game. If that if that was a Man United at home or an Arsenal at home, for example, it, it already strikes me as one of those yeah. games that regardless of who we play, we probably win that game because all, all the things that we say have, have been missing for so long. And obviously, with the incoming new manager, whoever that may be, we we probably get over the line just through sheer passion and exhaustion on on that day. So let's make it one of those those big sides. Yeah, Les, I I don't. I was just going to say, Les, do you you remember every game? And so I know that you remember this. But to Mark's point, one, my favorite Everton opening game was. Um, 
I think it was the last year of Moyes, uh, Fellaini, one nothing, one nil against United at home under the lights. Like, I want that. I, I, I'm like Mark. I, I'm kind of like, I mean, because the diminished expectations on opening day. I mean, we could get, you know, we could get Watford and they're going to beat us at home. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. But you know, Goodison under the light. Like, and I guess that leads to the question for both of you, and I'll, I'll turn to you first, Les, as well as your thoughts on this on the fixtures in general, but. Um, what would be your ideal or dream, you know, return to the stadium, home opener type scenario? And who would we play and, and all of that? It's a tough on that because I was thinking like what Mark said, you know, if, if it's a massive game, like it's Man United um, or it's Arsenal, it's kind of like for us, it's when it's when Everton play a promoted club, which always seem to. That is, I don't care what anyone says, that's yeah. the worst time to play a promoted team, especially away because they're all back in the Premier League and they are so up for it, it just makes it that bit harder. Once they've been pummeled by everyone by December, that's the time you want to play them, you know, when they're sort of like licking the wounds from the rest of the season. But then I think back to when we have had Arsenal yeah. on the first day, and yeah. the ball up the 4-0 as well, didn't we? Or 4-0, um, yeah. <laughs> like that. But then, yeah, then, you know, the flip side yeah. of that is you get Man United at home. The only weird thing about that was, it was the Monday night, wasn't it? So we had to Yeah, I think it was the Monday weekend. night. I know you hate waiting, but man, it was so worth the wait. It was just, I, I, it's weird because I'd, at that point I'd been following the club for a long time, but yet it, it just, you could, even over here watching it on television, you could feel the electricity. I, I still remember Fellaini scoring and jumping in the air and like yeah. taking his thumb and pointing to the back of his shirt with his name on it. I was like, Fuck yes. That's the, that is the Everton feeling I have been chasing the way that. A heroin junkie chases that first hit the first time that's never as good any other time after that. That's that's what I still want. <laughs> I, think, I think my ideal opener, and this is, I mean, I hate playing them, but I think this because it harks back to possibly your favorite opening game fixture ever. Oh, the Gary at home. Uh, Saturday afternoon in this one when we beat them 2 0. That was just such a fantastic opening day that to have what year was that? Was and Newcastle for once. That was the ideal. Was it? Yeah, 96, 96, yeah. 97, wasn't Alan it? Alan Shearer just signed for Newcastle yeah. for 15 million and everyone had totally lost their head about how much money it was. So, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I think he was 12 million, yeah, yeah. but didn't want to sign. Everton. <laughs> Mark, what's, Mark what's, your, uh, what's your ideal first, uh, like your ideal home opener for this upcoming season? Not that we'll get it, but... Someone relatively big at home, obviously not them, obviously not Man City. So probably one of... Maybe Spurs under a new manager. And and it's new manager versus new manager, but we just have that that edge of just being dead angry and and really frustrated that we we get it over the line somehow. So, yeah, Spurs, Spurs, Chelsea or Arsenal at home, Mm. I go for that was my first mail. Oh, go ahead. That was my first ever game. Tottenham at home. 84 85. He beat us 4 1. Yeah. He leathered us 4 1. Clive Allen got a hat trick. I wouldn't see, I wouldn't mind seeing Fonseca and his male model hair. Uh, haircut, you know, coming into Goodison <laughs> for that game. Uh, I like to, by the way, I, I did, I, have they made that official yet? Is it still, is it still, I think we're still technically waiting on it to be made official, yeah. the Fonseca like Spurs. I mean, it's going to happen, it looks like, but I remember wanting him a few years ago when we were uh, looking at Silva. I think yeah. I had talked myself into Fonseca. Uh, 
you know, and by the way, guys, I'll, I'll end on this, but but I think part of the reason that I've become a little jaded beyond the normal reasons about managerial searches is because I have been sucked into those, you know, contingents uh, on Twitter who get me into the this foreign manager that just sounds like a great idea and then it never comes off. And then, you know, the Unai Emery uh, discussions of the past, the Fonseca's, the, you know, what have you. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully by the time uh, we meet again uh, on Kickabout, guys, we're going to have a manager to talk about as opposed to just uh, theorize about at this point, <laughs> but we have made it a cool, just a shade under 90 minutes, which will no doubt delight uh, our blue room overlords in management. But uh, just want to thank uh, once again, Les, it's always just a pleasure to have you on, uh, buddy. You are, especially, it, it lends credibility to this show to have a, a true up and coming elite English manager uh, join us to talk about the sport from a very particular point of view and, and, and hopefully hopefully you you're able to continue your success without uh, any of your any of your uh, any of your kids getting arrested or, or you know po- you know by the police uh, for any bad conduct in town or anything like that after they've been on a bender for a bit but uh, it's bad conduct on the pitch that worries me <laughs> well hopefully hopefully you don't have any more uh, teenager angsty teenagers offering you straighteners buddy I, I i think that's a weird position to put someone like yourself how, how can anyone want to fight les he's the sweetest guy in the world uh mark thanks as always for your time and and to everyone uh, out there listening uh, i hope you're enjoying the euros hope you're enjoying uh, your summer get out and enjoy any sunshine that may come your way we'll be back again next week for more kickabout talk to you guys then take care Progressive Insurance protects people's cars, homes, and other vehicles. But if you've ever seen our commercials or even just heard our name, you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that we support Humble Design, a nonprofit that furnishes homes for families and veterans emerging from homelessness. Because a little help goes a long way. And a lot of help. Well, you get the idea. Now, if you already knew all of this about Progressive Insurance, we're impressed. We'll have to find something else cool to tell you next time. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.